We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And before we begin our lamentations about the Lakers weekend, want to talk about some happy news in the LFR world. Uh, Darius, you got some news for everyone. You broke it yesterday, but I, I should let you do it here on the pod. Yeah, guys. So I switched from Starbucks to Pete's in terms of my <laughs> coffee. Like, I feel like the Starbucks stuff has been a little Pizza's bit more well-rounded. I, I, I like the Pete's <laughs> choice, yeah. Based off of our pre-game discussion that we were having before the pod, it might only be you that's on the Pete's right now, Pete. Hey, we feisty. <laughs> we feisty right now. <laughs> so I will say, let me give a shout out to Mike because I am now officially a employee of the Los Angeles Lakers. And so my takes are now going to be, um, I don't know, what are my takes going to be? They're going to be the same as they've always been, damn it, because this is who I am. You're going to get the same stuff that you've always gotten. But I do want to appreciate and give a shout out to our guy, Mike Trudell here, who was just like, hey, I think that it would be a good fit. And I'm hoping that Mike ends up being true in this regard. The stuff we were talking about before the pod, not so much, Mike, but, but the stuff that we're talking about right now, I hope that you're right. And I'm going to do my best to bring all that I can to my role as a writer at Lakers.com. So we'll see how that goes. I'm excited. Well, we're extremely happy to have you. It was a, it was a major pickup. I said on Twitter that we had to give up a lot of future draft assets in order to secure uh, your rights. and. I will deflect some credit because I think it was Pete's original idea, by the way, to mention your name. Uh, and then Joey Ramirez did a lot of the executing um, on on the Lakers side. And so group took a, yeah, took a village. But here you are. Uh, and it's uh, it's very exciting. And you're right. We did start <laughs> before we started recording. We don't usually argue so much as we kind of just make points back and forth. But there are some arguing going on. And, and I oh, enjoy yeah. an argument. Uh, I do. And as long as I know that the people on the other side are not going to get mad um, at my tone, which I I do feel I feel confident about that in this trio because we know that our hearts are in the right place. So 
Uh, we will now have the same version of that argument, just in slightly nicer tone um, as we try to figure out what's going on with this. With this oh, I think season. people would love the not slightly nicer tone, but <laughs> oh, we shall man. see. Real quick on Darius, like – how many game previews have you written for crappy Lakers teams over the years, D? Oh, man. So there was that whole stretch there right in the middle of the last part after Kobe tore his Achilles. And, and so several of those lottery years, there was a lot of talking about what random starting lineup Y was going to look like and how mm -hmm. I thought D'Angelo Russell was going to be able to put his guy in jail coming off of a screen and roll <laughs> and how him using big guard tactics as a passer coming off of screen game was, was going to be useful to the Lakers and all kinds of other stuff, man. So I've written a lot of Lakers previews. I, I said this on Forum Blue and Gold yesterday when, when I put the post up is that I've been writing about the Lakers a long time. I've written about championship teams and I've written about bottom dwelling lottery teams, right? And everything in between. And I'm hoping that I can bring a level of context and nuance to what I'm doing just in the same way that we do it on the pod. But I think one of the reasons why you asked that question is because we are currently watching a Lakers team that is two and seven. Now mm -hmm. we recorded a pod on Friday, like, uh, like let's keep it going and yep. keep it going. They did not Pete. Yep. And, and so what stood out to you the most over the two games um, that have happened since we last talked? I think, and would like with the pod over the course of the next however long that it takes. I'd love to take a closer look at the games of LeBron and AD. Um, I think that this period of last four or five games where Russ has been coming off the bench and has been playing relatively well, I think provides just a little bit of illumination on some of the other problems. And this was a big part of my not defensive Russ last year, but it was like I felt like we put so many of so much of the blame on him that it obscured some of the other things that like it's like, yes, that's true. But also these other things are going wrong, too. And I think that Russ playing relatively well, right? I don't want to over overstate it, but him playing relatively well has kind of illuminated that. And we're really struggling on the offensive end, Mike, and a big part of our discussion really since going back to the offseason, has been like, what are LeBron and AD capable of at this point? And so I'd really love to explore that over the next week or so, because that's what stood out to me is that I, I texted you guys yesterday, LeBron and AD have only combined for 50 plus points twice this season. And that's, you know, 25 per guy. And I think the construction of this particular team was to get more defensive players and more D and three guys. And I, we've seen that result in a much better defensive team than we were last year. But as a result, I think that puts more of a burden offensively on LeBron and AD. And so I'd love to just have a broader conversation of how are they playing? What are they doing? What is something that's gone in their game versus what is something that is eight games of temporary poor play? Uh, but really, that's where my mind goes, Mike, is to the offensive end of the floor. And I know you have thoughts on just like what are reasonable expectations at this point? We had that podcast before the season and we did it more about LeBron than AD and just about year 20 and what he could be reasonably expected to do and produce. So that's, that's one part of this. I'm thinking of some Darvin Ham press conferences and including last night's and in, in where he basically thought, thought that the spirit of the team went away some in the second half. 
And why is that? Then we talked to LeBron and we've, we talked to Russ. AD actually didn't speak last night, which is a rarity. I'm trying to remember the last time they didn't speak after a game. But the way that this team sort of had to operate was it's this whole defense first mentality. And after watching last season and the lack of defense and the lack of competitiveness at times, that I think that was the, the sensible approach going in. But that assumed, and you know, Darius will certainly add on to this because I know you've already done some, um, some looking into what some of these numbers are, but that assumed a certain amount of just offensive capability because LeBron's out there and because AD's out there. And you know, LeBron's offense has clearly been down this year. Uh, our part of our discussion internally here, and I say ours and the three of us, has been about how much of that has to do with his jump shots that he's making or not, um, which is a point that I push back on. And part of that has to do with, like the questions that I've been asking Darvin Ham. Okay, so AD took four shots in the second half against Utah last game. He took two shots in the second half against Cleveland. You know, mm-hmm. why? How much of that is on? And, and I think Darvin's answer, which I found to be pretty fair, uh, was like, I want him to take more shots. I, I can just go and call and sort of spam a play. Hey, go to AD again. But what he's essentially having to do there is tell that to LeBron James. Or when he's in there to Russell Westbrook, who sort of play the way that they play up to an extent where where AD isn't that big point of emphasis. And so I think we're right to focus on LeBron and AD here because the rest of the team is just trying to do role player stuff and play hard defense, which is what essentially the 1920 team did. But LeBron and AD were playing differently um, at, for for a lot of reasons in that season. And you're right, Pete, in the sense that Westbrook coming in last year and how tough it was when he was on the court that did sort of overshadow a lot of the other stuff, including the difference in LeBron and AD last year from the difference uh, from, you know, when they were at their peak. So that's probably why you, you've said that we might need more than a pod to get through this. But Darius, where do you want to start with that? Well, let's go to AD first, because I think that the sort of disappearing act is is a tricky thing to say because it it sort of like finger points in in a way that I really don't want to do with him or even or with, with the yeah. team on the or, same spot yeah like there's a bunch of factors that go mm-hmm. into how you create offense for a big man like Anthony Davis and and so I have thought a lot about what made AD successful in the in his first season with the team. And I've been texting you guys a lot about this over the last couple of days. And a lot of it had to do with the Lakers just sort of being like, hey man, like we're giving you the ball a ton. Like we're going to post you up and we're going to post you up a bunch. And Mike, you remember this because you were watching this right from the, the sideline. And Pete and I commented a bunch about it on the pod at the time where we were just sort of like, hey, man, LeBron just keeps spamming these post-ups for AD. Like he's posting up 15, 16, 17 feet from the basket and AD shooting a lot of jumpers. But it's like LeBron's really making a point of emphasis to give the ball to AD, give, give the ball to AD. And the shape of the offense was different 
two under Frank Vogel mm-hmm. than what the shape is of this offense, Pete. And so that's sort of where I wanted to kick it to you too. It's that this idea of force feeding AD, which is an idea that's come up multiple times over the last several years. And this isn't the first time AD has quote unquote been taken out of a game or whatever. It used to be more purposeful with double teams and things like that. But the the places in which AD is catch, catching the ball and what the asks are of him offensively off of those, those catches, they are different in this style of offense than they are or than they were under what Frank Vogel was doing for Anthony Davis. And I think those differences are accounting for some of this too. And I think some of it is like the Lakers now have a higher usage guard, just like they did with Dennis Schroeder the season bef- like in AD's second season and now with Russ and AD is playing bench minutes with Russell Westbrook. But, and I'm happy with the aggressiveness that Russ is showing. And I think Russ was very fair in his comments about this idea of like, look, I'm just trying to make the right reads. And Russ has set up AD a bunch of times for lobs and easy baskets um, around the hoop via dump off passes. And so I don't want to single out Russ here either. I just think it's it's a bunch of different small little things that are adding up to AD's second lowest usage rate of his entire career yeah. and a level in which he is just not feeling the ball as much on any given possession. And rectifying that isn't so straightforward as, okay, well, we'll just run that same post-up action that we run mm-hmm. where we set a, a wing screen for AD to dive into the post like they did with Alex Caruso for all of those games, his first two seasons. So I've talked a lot there, but like I think the difference in scheme, I think, is an important place to start, from my opinion. It is. And I think that the usage rate point that you pointed out, it's part and parcel. And if you think about like, what does this Lakers team need, especially after seeing them for several games, like AD having the second lowest usage rate of his career on a team that's defending well, but doesn't have a ton of talented offensive players. And then some of the guys that have been good offensively, like a Kendrick Nunn has just completely fallen off of the map or Patrick Beverly is suddenly a 21% three point shooter or LeBron is like, it's all the more need that we need AD to be a closer to 30% usage guy. And But that said, we're asking so much of him on the defensive end as well. There are things that AD can be doing as well. We've texted about this and we'll get more into this as we further the discussion. But like asking a guy, Mike, to be the defensive player of the year in a group that's gone small, like AD is the one guy that provides size for us. LeBron does to an extent, but we're playing generally one big lineups. And like one of the things that stood out to me about the Utah game, and this could be true about the Cleveland game as well, is it's like AD against both... Lori Markinen and Kelly Olynyk, and then it's Lori Markinen and Walker Kessler, who's a big active guy, and it's basically this like two on one scenario that AD can win those, but those are those take a lot of gas out of you, and so that whole idea of like AD having these big first halves followed by these two or four shot second halves, like. There's so much of watching the tape of AD where I'm like, AD looks gassed to me. He's not running the court. He's not moving fast within the offense. And that's, he's kind of floating into the corner. And so to me, like, we need the, 29, 30% usage version of AD. And I think there are things that we can do to help facilitate that with like more two big lineups. But that's a lot what I'm seeing, Mike. And even you made a comment on the broadcast uh, starting out or uh, the other day about how coming out of the tunnel, AD commented about he picked up the bug that had been going around the team. And so anyway, a lot of roads point to me, a lot of signs to me point toward AD being gassed. And so I think that's a factor within this. AD also is just 
just in terms of body type, he's different from how he was to start with the Lakers. And whether mm-hmm. it's been, I'm not sure how many pounds, but he's bulked up some. And when, when on the title team, a lot of the attacking that he was doing was almost as like this supersized wing. And now he's basically just playing as like a post-up center most of the yeah. time. And the usage rate is kind of, if you think about some of the, the post-up centers, now there aren't that many, period, but po- maybe post-up is the wrong way to phrase it, but think about the high usage centers. So a Jokic or an Embiid. And mm-hmm. look at how Embiid is different and what, what was going on before his sickness has kept him out for like a week. And his usage being down because they're playing more hardened ball you know, and there there are some corollaries there to some of Philly's struggles. And then Jokic is a completely other case because everything he's basically the point guard. Everything runs through him and he, you know, he can do it from the high post. Sure, he'll go in the low post, but Jokic is moving more than A D now. And and so all of that to me kind of coalesces into well, what if if A D is a different body type and he's not gonna necessarily attack in quite the same ways that he used to, and he's not gonna be able to run the floor in quite the same ways that he used to with this, with this, even if it's relatively slight difference, then how do you get back to that point with the AD that he is today? And I still think like period, even if he's just posting up on the low block then and using that bulk to not get bumped out to 18 feet, he's there's there are very few players that can even bother him much down there where at least he can get his own fadeaway shot over anybody, or he could just go harder to the rim, but that isn't really happening that much. Um, either. Darius, there was a play in, I think, the second quarter of that game where AD was trying to post up Mobley, and Mobley was in three-quarter denial. And if, if you're listening, that's when you're kind of on the shoulder onto the side of the player that's trying to post up, and you got your arm in the way. So the idea is that if they throw that post-entry pass, you're going to be able to knock it away with that arm that's reaching in. And then the classic, and this goes back really all the way to the Mike in and, and Chamberlain type of days, the classic way that you beat that is ball reversal into a seal. And so the, I think it was Austin, I forget who had the ball initially, they swung it over to LeBron, who was on the opposite slot wing type of area. And AD made this great reverse pivot into a seal and just buried Mobley behind him. But it was a really fast move. He ended up, they had to tackle him. He didn't make the shot because they tackled him, but he got free throws out of it. But the speed that AD made that move was so refreshing. And I part of the reason that it stood out is because there's not a lot of plays that are like that in like Mike's talking about, well, if you're bigger, dominate down low in the post. It's still he he plays a very perimeter game while carrying another 10 to 15 pounds. And so I don't know. I thought that play was really indicative of kind of what Mike's talking about. So I'm going to describe a play to to you guys. Um Open court play, the Lakers are transitioning between offense to defense, probably off, off of a missed shot. So AD is running back the other direction, but he's sort of backpedaling. The opposing team is starting to push the ball, and they try to throw it over the top, and AD leaps up and deflects the ball. He grabs it, and all in one motion, pushes out, right-hand dribble strong, Extends, takes two massive steps, right? And extends for a finish at the basket. That play was like the first game of the season against the Golden State Warriors. And so Mm -hmm. there is a level of juice that AD has. 
and he's had it this season as well. And so I don't want to start describing AD as if he's like last season's LaMarcus Aldridge. So quickly. of course, well, like the bar is high. We need him to be a superstar on offense. Yeah. So and yes, they do. yes, the Lakers do. And so let's go to break here because I'm just <laughs> going to talk for a second. And so I want to go to break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, the Lakers do need Anthony Davis to be a superstar, and they need him to be a superstar offensively. My point is, is that in, and so Pete, I think you made an excellent point about like defense and how much the ask of him is defensively, and how that is potentially impacting his late game motor for sure. What I also see though is that there is a dissonance between what the ask is of what the Lakers need for him offensively and the positions in which he's occupying on the court in order mm. to be that offensive player, right? And so tell us more about that. AD has not been a high level post player this season. I looked up his post numbers the other day and I looked up LeBron's as well. And LeBron has not been a high level post player either when it comes to his own individual scoring off offense, but they're both sub sub one point per possession offensive players op operating out of the post where AD has been a very good scoring player, particularly on play type has been out of the pick and roll. Yeah. But you are dependent on so many factors when you are basically a pick and roll player. It's one of the reasons why Dwight Howard probably at that one stretch of his career was just like, I don't want to be a pick and roll player all of the <laughs> damn time. Why? So I can like sprint from underneath the basket up to the top, top of the key, set a screen, get downhill as fast as I can only to not catch the ball because it was kick out swing, swing for a three pointer from Richard Lewis or from whoever. Right. It's 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 like there is a level of unforgiveness that comes 
from being that sort sort of dude. And what I see is AD is not getting the same sort of post touches. He is not getting the same sort of touches in general where it's just like, hey, like this is, we need you to score, but in order to score, you need to have the ball and you probably need to start with the ball a little bit more. Before the season started, Pete, one of the things that you talked about and one of the things that you were excited about was this idea of AD getting more of the types of on-ball opportunities mm -hmm. that like Giannis gets, right? Mm -hmm. And you were very excited about the opportunity for him to play out of the slot a little bit more, yep. out of handoff situations, out of isolation situations where he could attack, particularly if he was going to be playing center, right? And when was the last time AD drove it's very for a basket we, that you can remember. We ran a couple of uh, inverted ball screens. That's been like really the one thing that we've done. And we used to do this in Vogel's offense as well. A couple of inverted ball screens for the wing where he's gotten to the, the basket. And he's made a couple here and there. But to your point, it's been very rare. That's not been something where the only time we've really run offense through AD has been in the, in the post. And it's also been less than it was in the past. Yeah. And so, Mike, I am I don't fain to have the solution here. I'm not a coach. I'm not in the meetings. I haven't watched so much tape where I'm like some mad genius here saying, this is what you got to do in order to get Anthony Dave Davis the ball. But what I'm seeing is AD is playing a lot in the crowd in pick and rolls because teams are not def teams are not respecting the Lakers shooting. When he's in pick and rolls with LeBron, LeBron is not threatening to go downhill and he is settling a lot for that like one dribble out and then really quick pocket pass between like three guys and expecting AD to catch like a skipper of a bounce pass that is thrown really hard and, and then play in a crowd in order to score. And then when AD does get to operate in some space, it is more out of like pick and roll action with Russ because Russ is attacking more and then he's getting downhill in ways where the roll lane is free and then otherwise, it's like, hey, go like go create your own shot. And when AD does create his own shot, I do want him to be more assertive in going to, to the basket. He had scores against both Denver and the Jazz where it's turn and face, hard drive, baseline, and I'm powering up over the top of you or getting a reverse layup because his short area quickness is still elite for a player that is his size and his craft and deftness with the ball is still fantastic in those situations. And so there's a lot of, I'm asking a little bit more of this guy. I'm asking a little bit more of that guy. And I'm asking a little bit more of you, Anthony Davis as well. And those little things need to add up into the level of production that we're asking of him now. Um, and it's been there in stretches, but it has not been there over the course of his full 36 minute shift. And how to bridge that gap is, I think, a very important question for the coaching staff, and I'm hoping that it starts to get addressed soon. I alluded to part of Darwin's answer about the AD touches question, uh, and it was actually before the game that I asked him, and then you know McMenamin has been asking some questions about this as well after the game. And the, the solution that I keep coming back to is less about the coaching staff uh, and more about LeBron uh, really as being the one on the floor that is still the most important, that is still having the ball the most, that is still that can still do uh, most anything that he wants, even if he doesn't have the legs to drive to the hoop a million times. I'm just saying he can orchestrate an offense himself. He knows how to run every offense. He knows how to do whatever is needs to be done. And that's the approach that I've been 
watching closely and, and just been curious about and what what does he think is the best way to optimize and to utilize AD and not just AD, but the other players that are now, you know, Walker and Brown kind of crystallizing into that onto the wing. And it's been Beverly a couple games. Uh, last game, it was Kendrick Nunn that started. I don't know if they're going to go back to that. I don't know. Maybe it would be Austin Reeves that give that a shot tonight. But that to me is the, is kind of the question. Uh, and I don't know that it's, it, when they've when you've been through something with with a teammate uh, like they have in winning the title and you did it a certain way and that way isn't as presentable like that exact way isn't as presentable mm-hmm. for a couple mm-hmm. different reasons one a couple of years of aging one uh, the you know AD now being a little uh, being a bit different in terms of physicality lebron being a bit different in terms of what he's capable of that's that can be a hard thing and it's why teams that win a championship rarely get back to that level unless they make some major type additions and then evolve with that group. And that's part of, I don't want to connect it directly to what Darvin Ham said about spirit. Cause I think that goes into a lot of, a lot of things, but ultimately you still, your character as a team still is what your two best players are doing and how that is being, how, how that's being filtered down. And that's where the belief starts. That's where the energy starts. And Russ, Russ is now at least having been removed from that, from the starting lineup perspective. And when he comes in, he still dominates the ball and his usage takes away some from AD as well. Even if he gives him some touches, it's, it's just that it's not, I think that's not the only thing that we can look at anymore. And it's trying to figure out what it is that LeBron wants to get accomplished with AD and with that group around him. That LeBron AD group with Russ out, I think, is a really important one to focus on. And uh, to your point, Mike, like Russ, the Russ and AD groups have an offensive rating of 116, and it's 20 points lower when Russ is off the floor and AD is on. And a big part of that is just getting that pressure on the rim. Like you said earlier, D, like AD has been very productive in the pick and roll game. A lot of that has been when Russ has been on the court because there is that kind of downhill nature to it. That said, though, the LeBron and AD groups with Russ off have been bad on offense going back to last year as well. So that whole like, what are we now? Who like how should we be operating? Part of it for me is like a lot of the roads lead back to the bad shooting in that like it's not just that we're shooting 27 percent or whatever we're shooting as a team from three. It's it's that. Every time you make that defensive decision on an Anthony Davis roll to the basket or wherever AD is, everybody is an extra step closer toward AD. Everybody is an extra step closer toward LeBron. And so it's not just that we're shooting 27%. It's that we're wide open on a lot of these looks. And no matter like no matter what scheme you're running, no matter what you're doing, who your personnel is, there is a certain degree of it where like you have to make open shots. And one of the interesting statistical things that has stood out to me, D, over the course of the first nine games is the Lakers have actually been pretty good on the assist front, right? They're like relative to how poor their overall offense has been. We're 19th in the NBA in assists, despite being 29th in offensive rating. And so it, that indicates that, hey, you're moving the ball around and like you're the guy who when we do make shots, it's coming off of some degree of ball movement, but we're just not hitting a great deal of shots. And so like 
Pat Bev and Kendrick Nunn and guys like that, like providing nothing offensively. That's one of the spots that I look to that I think, and we've been talking a lot about Dennis, for example, over the text thread about like this group needs like one more guy who can score. And so I don't know, that's where my, my mind goes on those LeBron and AD groups because they've been a lot worse on the offensive end. Yes, because both LeBron and AD are now good at the same things and mm. bad at the same things. Mm-hmm. So LeBron is shooting 21% on three-pointers, and he's taking seven of them a game. Anthony Davis is shooting 23% on three-pointers, but he's only taking 1.6 of them a game. And so there was a stretch in time during the Lakers championship run where Frank Vogel was just like, hey, man, I like, and (laughs) there were jokes about it. Remember where they were talking about how, like, Frank wanted AD shooting like three or four threes a game. And Rondo was just like, oh, you know, let him shoot six or whatever the funny quote Mm -hmm. was that we had jokes about at like at that time. But the idea was like, hey, like manufacture spacing, you manufacture it through a bunch of different ways. But one of them is just like, hey, we want AD shooting his shot because we think that he could shoot it. AD has determined for himself he's no longer a good three-point shooter, and he's basically cutting it out of his game. He's shooting 1.6 a game, but I can't tell you the last time he took more than one in a single game um, where it seemed like it was something that he actually wanted to do because it was like, hey, it's a part of the flow. Or an early clock three, he was taking those earlier during the season, and he has not been taking many of those lately. One of the things that we were talking about offline before we started to record was LeBron shooting and how much it does or does not matter. And that's a discussion for another day because um, we will get into the weeds of that for sure. But no one can argue the fact that if he's going to shoot seven of them a game, then it'd be nice if like more than one and a half of them went in. And like when you talk about why a team struggles on offense, like we talked about this before, but it's like, hey, when when the Lakers were starting Russell Westbrook and those groups were bad on offense and Russ was shooting like 29% from the field right. and 11% from three, three yeah. right? And he's taking a dozen shots a game. You, you know, that Ru- hurts you. You know, Russ is now our third best three-point shooter behind Matt Ryan yeah, and Austin Reeves. 32% a game <laughs> and he's... And, and Mike, and he's had a couple of games where he's hit multiple threes. When was the last time LeBron hit multiple threes in a game? It's been a bit. Without going too deep into the shooting discussion that seems to be a repeat of just different shooting discussions we've had in the past, I I think shooting is just part of, the, part of it is about the process and how the shots are coming, where they're coming, mm-hmm. and why they're coming. Mm-hmm. And this is this is my argument. Like the the, sh- the threes that LeBron is shooting – are not coming after a possession of sort of crisp ball movement and somebody else is attracting the defense. And maybe this makes part of what Pete's point is, like by having somebody like Shooter, where the ball's dribble penetration, swing out to the perimeter, defense has to rotate, and there's LeBron in the top of the key, you know, open with a chance to set and shoot. They're coming oftentimes for LeBron where he's like, maybe AD comes to set a screen and then he kind of just dribbles out of it and the defender closes and he takes a step back to his left. Those are tough shots, even yeah. for LeBron James. They're not rhythm shots. They're, and those are the majority, I think. I, I Don't quote me on it. We, I'm sure we could go back and actually look specifically to what each one is. But in, you know, AD's threes are more, are more often open. But like Russ's threes 
are the best possible threes you could ever take because he's just sitting there. The defense is stuck in the paint and they're just letting him set up and shoot a lot directly towards the rim. So the pro now rushes are going in more. Uh, has that, has that made a major difference in winning for the Lakers? I mean, his efficiency overall has in his activity is kind of getting downhill, but then some of that gets given back with the turnovers and with sort of the, the, the frenetic nature of what the offense is. So I'm just the process by which LeBron is getting his threes this year to me has been worse than in any previous year. And that's part of the reason why the percentage is low. It's and that also has to do with the fact that in year 20, he's not able to put that same kind of consistent pressure on the rim Mm -hmm. for an entire game and thus break down the defense accordingly. So I'm not just counting on his threes, you know, going way, way back up. If they're if the process by which he's getting them in the offense is moving is how it's been so far. So LeBron is taking 62 three pointers this season. 29 of those have been catch and shoot threes and 30 of them have been pull ups. On catch and shoot threes, he is five for 29. Mm. And on pull ups, he is shooting eight for 28. He is four for 15 on shots that are on three pointers that are classified as wide open. So where he has the closest defender is more than six feet feet away. And he is eight for 40 on threes that are considered open, which is a defender is four to six feet. And so I don't say those stats to, to like disagree with your point necessarily because off the dribble or pull up threes, those are difficult threes and those are half of his takes. In general, he has not been feeling a lot of pressure on like in terms of like how close a defender is to him. And it's one of the reasons why um, I'm hoping we start to see a turnaround from from him just in terms of some of the shots that we know he's capable of making, that some of these just fall at a bit of a higher clip than the clip that they've been falling at. The, those, it's good to have those numbers The the caveat sort of eye test part of it, though, is that even, those numbers don't always account for like the defense is asking him to step back and take and take a three. So, so it's open quote unquote, but it's after he's dribbled the ball for 15 seconds Mm -hmm. and it's different from a, so I, I just, I think that tells us something, but I'm, I'm still not convinced that like he, it's just LeBron sitting out there missing wide open threes. Um, And, and I guess the other part I should put into this is just that his, his legs in general in year 20, and his lift, and then that's the point that Pete made about AD that that I mentioned on the broadcast, where LeBron also was sick. So sure, that's part of it, but he just the lift in on like possession by possession, right, isn't there as much, and and I wonder how much of that is affecting the three point shooting too. So Mike, I was nodding along vigorously when you were making your point about like the way that he gets into his threes, and I think that you're spot on that those numbers don't necessarily tell the full story. But what I'm also seeing is LeBron completely airballing two, three shots a game on shots that he takes, that he's used to taking. And like when he's saying, I just don't have my legs underneath me, I think that that's something that is that a permanent problem. I'm not talking like year 20, like accumulation, like, yes, of course. Yeah, it'll it's it'll really get better. It'll right. really get better. And, and, and that will help. That will be super some. helpful. If LeBron was shooting 35% right now, he the whole team would be averaging like 3.3 points per game more. Just on that right there, and LeBron shooting 35% from three is not unreasonable. That's one of the things that's been crazy about this team is that going into the season, we were like, the shooting talent on this team stinks, and your best shooters are probably 
LeBron and Pat Bev in the starting lineup. And those are the guys who've been the actual worst at it, right? Like at actually shooting threes. And so when you're not that good of shooters anyway, and then the guys who were supposed to be the best on your team have been really struggling, like in some ways it's kind of a simple explanation. I would now's not the time to get deeper though into Mike's point about um like the way that he's getting his threes and I think it's spot on um but we'll we'll get to that later um I just want to wrap up real quick we're playing Utah tonight and Mike had brought up the idea of starting Austin which I think is probably the direction that we end up going in I would love for us to give a too big look uh in, in the near future. That's something that uh, I think frees up AD a little bit on offense, just because he's asked to do so much defensively that if we want that better version of Anthony Davis on the offensive end, I think like not asking him to do everything is something that's super important. I'd like to see us start Wenyon D, uh, but that's one of the things that's on the table that I want to just close with. No, it's one of the reasons why I, I'm very interested on when the Lakers will provide the injury updates on both Thomas Bryant and on Daniel yeah. Schroeder. I would hope that those come this week because we're entering into week three of when those original diagnoses came. Um, I'm with you on a too big look just because when AD plays center, he occupies a different part of the court yeah. than when he would be one of the four out guys and the driving and the playing out of the slot a lot of those early ideas pete those those came from the lakers potentially playing bigger and him starting next to damian jones or him starting next to thomas bryant mm -hmm. and so i'm very interested too in what the lakers do in terms of offering more two big looks when one of those two bigs is not lebron james right and you mentioned earlier a lot of the sort of tag teaming that AD has had to deal with in terms of big, big players. Mm -hmm. Well, that's going to happen with Utah. That's you right. mentioned Laurie Markkinen. You mentioned um, Walker Kessler. Um, Olenek. Jared Vanderbilt is in yeah, that mix. Exactly. Like th Vanderbilt, by the way, didn't play last night. Um, uh, so with, he has like an adductor thing. So I don't know if he's going to play tonight. I'm yeah, that it would be helpful. Back. Yeah. Interesting. That's great to know. I'm, I am interested, though, in finding avenues towards a even more effective Anthony Davis or a sustained yeah. Anthony Davis because he's been great in first halves and the second half he has not been there as much and so hopefully we get that that full 36 minute AD tonight Mike and one last note for me typically when 90 percent of the postgame questions are all about one thing and you know like LeBron had to talk about it Westbrook had to talk about it Darvin had to talk about it which are AD's touches that's usually something that almost as a human nature element is is adjusted yep. the next game uh, and so i'm curious too because this would be this is a good team uh, to spam ad against they have nobody that can handle him yep. inside uh, and uh, you know kessler has the length but certainly not the just the overall savviness um kelly olenic can't do anything with him down there vanderbilt you know he's vanderbilt's too small like he'll battle but this this would be the type of game where ad uh, could feast and so even if just as a starting point, I'll be curious to see if that's something that they go to, because if it looks the same that it, that it has the last couple, you know, then we're right back to having this same discussion. That's a great point and it's definitely something to keep an eye on tonight. We will be back tomorrow to talk about it and get more into LeBron and AD. I think maybe get a little more into LeBron since we focused on AD today. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game.
Plex. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Plex with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.